We are in week three of a 12-week series that we've entitled The Good Life, and we're looking at a very heavy, uh, sometimes pessimistic book about regrets and remorse when it comes to aged King Solomon looking back at his life. And he's looking under this premise of where is the good life to be found. And last week we saw that he went through a whole laundry list of things of where he thought the good life could be found. Was it in parties? No. Was it in punchlines? No. Was it in uh, possessions or pleasure or prestige? And the answer was no. That nothing in this world, no matter how much the world advertises that it brings contentment and fulfillment, nothing in this world can bring the satisfaction that we're looking for. And so this morning we now pivot to this great passage of Scripture that is before us. After really bursting our bubble, if you will, or popping the balloon of our thinking, he now brings us to look at the totality of the human existence, totality of human life. He does so in a poetic way, a way that would become so uh, uh, part and parcel to our thinking about life that it would become uh, the words and lyrics to a song. For many of our older people, we want to right away when we hear these words start saying, turn, turn, turn. There's a season, turn, turn, turn. For those under the age of 40, you have no earthly idea what I'm talking about. And yet, what we have in this text is what what. Solomon will inevitably say is the microcosm of the human existence. So let's look to the scriptures. I want to glean four characteristics about life from it, and then I want to do three takeaways as we lead into our time of communion together. Here's what Solomon says is the microcosm of life. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? We'll start, start there this morning. Three things that I want you to see Solomon renders upon looking at his life, looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in this life, looks at the totality of life and says, where is satisfaction to be found? And he does so under the heading that I would like to call the days of our lives. If a TV program makes it five years, it is told to be a hit. If it makes it eight seasons, it is a classic. For some shows, few and far between, they'll get beyond 10, 12, maybe even 15 seasons. For The Simpsons, it's over 30 seasons. 
But that pales in comparison to the daytime soap opera, The Days of Our Lives. 57 seasons, The Days of Our Lives, have been on daytime television. Haven't watched much of it. The only time I ever saw The Days of Our Lives was usually when I was homesick in a doctor's waiting room, The Days of Our Lives would be on. To be able to watch all 57 seasons of the one-hour programming, it would take you 14,000 hours to consume. Speaking of days of our lives, it would take you two and a half years of your life to watch all of it. I did a little research on this program that I haven't spent much time watching. And by the way, for everyone who says, oh, I don't watch soap operas, I want you to know that Days of Our Lives has 10 times the daytime audience than any of its competition during those time slots. So some of you are watching this program. But it tells the story of two families that live in a fictitious town of Salem, Illinois. Illinois had no idea that Days of Our Lives took place in Illinois. And these two families live life. And one of the things I found in a Smithsonian article that was just recently written giving celebration to these 57 years is that they looked at all elements of life. In essence, they said while following these two families that they wanted to have times of laughter, times of languish, times of love, in times of, and of course it's a soap opera, times of lust. And in it, there's the totality of the human existence. Now why all of this on a soap opera when preaching out of the Bible? The answer is found in the opening line of the intro video. You remember it. It went like this, like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. And then corny acting would take place. What Ecclesiastes 3 is, is a verbal depiction of the days of our lives. All that life has to offer is contained in these opening eight verses. All the joys, all the sorrows, all the victories, all the defeats, all of the gains, all of the losses, all of the pleasures, all of the pains are neatly constrained and concisely packaged into these opening verses. Now, we could go through every one of them and say exactly what does each phrase mean? And I don't think that's why Solomon wrote this passage of Scripture. He's telling us one truth. We all live life. The question is, will we live the good life? Now remember, the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is simple. Life apart from God is meaningless. It's meaningless. So therefore, the good life, the good life that your teaching team hopes is that light bulb moment that as you look at Solomon's life, a light bulb goes on and says, I don't want to live like Solomon did. I'm going to have this aha moment where I'm going to pursue the good life and that good life is found in communion with Jesus Christ. And when we give ourselves to Christ and we live side by side in partnership with Christ, then all of those temporal things that in and of themselves cannot bring meaning to our life all of a sudden find meaning because they are placed in the proper perspective and priority. So here is what 
Solomon wants to do. He wants to look at the totality of all that he's talked about in these opening two chapters, and he wants us to show us a couple things about life. Write these down, four characteristics about life. Number one, life is cyclical. Life is cyclical. Look at what Solomon writes out. 14 events, and they're bookended. You're born, you die. You plant, you harvest. You kill, you heal, you break down, you build up, you weep, you laugh, you mourn, you dance, and so on. And here what we have in short order is a commentary on life. Or as one author wrote in his book, it is the catalog of life. Here is life in these short verses. And within it, as you see this bantering back and forth, life or birth and death, planting, harvesting, breaking down and building up, you see a pendulum swing. When I was growing up, my mom's mom and dad, my grandparents, were clock lovers. And they collected clocks. And their uh, most favorite of clocks was a seven and a half foot grandfather clock that stood in their living room. A massive piece of, of, of artwork and of furniture. And I remember sitting in front of it looking at the pendulum swinging back and forth. And in this rhythm, in this constancy, one side to another, back and forth, in perfect unison. What Solomon is trying to communicate is life is like that pendulum of the clock. Back and forth. Just swinging back and forth between these two poles and at some point in your life, you're on one side. And at some point of your life, you're on the other side. And we see that with life. Life is one big pendulum swing. We see it with hairstyles. I don't know if you know it, but the mullet is back. I remember when I was a little younger, my younger children would say to me, what kind of haircut is that? It's all good on the front, and then there's all kinds of craziness going on the back. And now what do I see of a lot of young men? The mullet is back. How about when we used to make fun of our parents for wearing bell bottoms? They're back. How about when we would rip out that shag carpeting? Now we call it mid-century modern. You see, in this world, there are cycles. We see it in politics. We see it in art. We see it even in the church. That which we think is new and novel, Solomon says, been there, done that. Life is on this perpetual loop. And the longer you live, the more you will recognize and know that life is cyclical. It is one pendulum swing. That's why old people are always in a bad mood. Because they've been there, they've done that, and they know it's just more of the same as life continues on. Alistair Begg, in a message he preached out of the book of Ecclesiastes, says this about the cyclical nature of life. This poem reveals the great absurdity of life because each activity cancels the other out. There are 14 pluses and 14 minuses, and that adds up to zero. Every birth ends in death. Every planted crop is pulled up. Every building is eventually condemned. Every celebration gives way to a funeral. And every peace gives way to another war. Nothing is gained. 
It's just back and forth, more of the same. And within that is this futility. It seems as if we just are in for the ride and we go from one side of the clock to the other. But I want you to notice within this passage, especially these opening verses, notice a second thing, that life is full of changes. Nothing is stagnant. We're always in motion from one thing to another. Good times come to an end and bad times ensue. Storms pass and the sun and the clouds begin to shine. Summer days wane as we're seeing in these moments and winter begins to set in. Your early life, you're invited to birthday parties and showers. Later in life, you are invited to hospital visits and funerals. But even more specifically, in those pendulum swings of life, there are events, there are moments that change. Whether you're in the good part of the swing or the bad part of the swing of the pendulum of life, sometimes things happen. One moment you're healthy, the next moment you're sick. One moment you have that special someone with you, the next moment they're gone. One day you're married, the next day you're divorced. One day, financially, everything's going the way you want it to, the next day you have no money to show for it. One day you've got a job, the next day you're unemployed. Life has a way of changing very, very quickly. And in the blink of an eye, that which was good has now moved to the bad. Now, Let's pause here for a moment. I want you to write something down that I think is of great importance. This idea that we swing from the good in life to the bad in life should do two things. Number one, write this down in your outlines. It's not in there, but this should encourage the hurting, should encourage the hurting, and it should exhort the haughty. Let me explain. Maybe right now you find yourself in a bad chapter of your life. Maybe nothing's going right for you. Maybe everything in your life is an absolute mess. Maybe all the news you're getting at this moment in your life is all bad. Take heart. Good times are coming. Life is cyclical. You cannot sit in that bad part of the pendulum swing forever. Inevitably, the swing will swing you back to good times. We see that in the life of a nation. We see that in the life of civilization. We see that in our own personal lives. You wait long enough, bad times will be uh, taken away and good times will come. And so take heart. The bad times don't last forever. It's a season. It's a cycle in life. How about for those that life is good? You're winning championships. You're getting promotions. You, need, you have all the money you need. Family life is good. Married life is good. Everything is good. What we begin to think as people when we're on the top of the mountain is we've done something to achieve that. And we begin to think down on people whose lives aren't very good. Well, if they would just be as smart or as savvy as I am, then their life would be better. Take heart, haughty in each of us. Bad times are on the horizon. 
Just give it enough time and you will see economic downturns. You will see trouble in your marriage. You will see trouble with children. You will see all manner of things. Recently, I had a a young man come to me, a new dad. He's got kids that are uh, like five, three, and a newborn. And he made this statement. I don't know why people make such a big deal about parenting. It's a cinch. Wait till they hit 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Wait till you hand them the keys to your car. Wait till they can make bigger messes out of diapers than they ever made in diapers. You see, we get this haughty nature. We've got it all figured out until the circumstances of life come knocking on our door. So those who think, I've got life figured out, it's always going to be this way, take heart because inevitably you give it enough time, the good times do end. Let us recognize, just as a great example, the roaring 20s, they say were about six years of great prosperity in the United States. It came with 13 years of the worst depression this world has ever seen. Good times always come to an end. And usually bad times take longer than the good times you've ever experienced. Take heart. It exhorts the haughty. It should encourage the hurting. Now, we see that life is full of changes. It's cyclical. But notice within each of these signposts, it allows for choices. A time to be born and a time to die. Within those that phrase, and a time between being born and dying lots of choices for the farmer lots of decisions to be made from when he planted to when he harvests and so it is with life you and i have a lot of choices to make in the bookend of life there's very little in this life that we don't have some say in. We don't have a say in when we're born and when we die, but we have a say in much of the decisions and choices that are made in the in-between. And so we have a choice, whether in the good of the pendulum swing or the bad, will we find joy or sorrow? Will we find peace or turmoil? Will we find ourselves in isolation or in community with others? Will we look at each moment of our lives with pessimicity, or pessimism is the right word, or positivity? See, the cyclical nature of life has us somewhere on the spectrum. And the question is, will we be better or will we be bitter about it? You are the only one who can decide that. You're the only one who can make decisions. Now, not only that, as to how you will respond to situations, but I want you to also recognize within this place of life, some of us find ourselves in the bad side of that pendulum swing, where sorrow and sadness and remorse are, and it isn't because of the circumstances of life, it's because of the choices that you and I have made. Solomon writes, not because his circumstances were the problem, it was his choices that created the difficult, regretful life that he's now writing about. And some of us have made decisions that now we're living with. And they've caused the season and moment 
of that pendulum swing to linger a little longer than we would like. Instead of building, we're destroying. Instead of loving, we're hating. Instead of being peaceful, we're at war. And because of that, we're not experiencing the good life because our choices have become the harvest of all the bad that's happening in our lives. Now, that's not everyone. Listen, some of it may be circumstances, but for many of us, and I've seen in my own life, some of the bad seasons of my life have come as a direct result of bad decisions I've made, foolish decisions, selfish decisions. And so we've got some choices to make as to whether or not we're going to make this thing called life have any meaning to it at all. Number four, it's cyclical, it's full of changes, it allows for choices. Notice life is to be celebrated and commemorated. Solomon isn't just throwing life away. He isn't just saying, bide your time and then die. I think he's really being positive about things. I think what he's saying is, is there's a lot that life has to offer. There's a lot to glean in this life. And notice what he says in verse 11 as he goes on. He says, what gain has the worker for his toil? That is, what gain does a person get from life? I've seen that the business that God has given to children of man to be busy with. Now notice what he says in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. That is, God has put his stamp of approval on us living life. This is what God has created, and it's beautiful. And beauty can be found in it. There's a sacredness to it. There's a specialness to this issue of life. Now, that is why each and every moment should be celebrated and should be commemorated. Let me give you a couple reasons why. Number one, because each moment in life is not guaranteed to us. You're not guaranteed another birthday. You're not guaranteed another anniversary. You're not guaranteed another day at work or a promotion. You're not guaranteed the good, nor are you guaranteed the bad is going to come because death meets us all. I learned this truth at 14 years of age. My older brother's 16 years of age. Got all of his life ahead of him. He's looking forward to graduating high school, going off to college, meeting the love of his life, having some children, uh, all of that, having experiencing a job and all that life had to offer. But when he was 16 years of age, he dies in a tragic car accident. He wasn't guaranteed tomorrow. And so every moment we have, every opportunity we have, we should celebrate and commemorate life. That God has given us life and breath because we're not guaranteed another day. Number two, we need to recognize that each and every moment, whether good, bad, or ugly, is a gift from God. Let me say that again. Every moment of your life, good, bad, and ugly, is a gift from God. Remember what's, uh, what Job said? Can we not receive the good things from God and not the bad? God, uh, Job recognized that God is the giver of good and difficult things. 
And we need to recognize that God has a reason for giving us these things and we need to stop and we need to celebrate them and consider what God wants us to do to take all of this in. Third, taking time to celebrate and commemorate recognizes that life continues on. Amanda and I are about to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary this December. If we didn't have an anniversary for me to forget, I wouldn't remember how long we've been married. And I don't mean just years, but it's a, there's a milestone to it. Because if you were to ask me without anniversaries, so how long you've been married? A really, really long time. Well, how long? Long. Longer for her than me. Okay? So by having these moments where we stop and say, okay, we've been married 25 years, it causes an opportunity for me to stop and to say, hey, this is something special. Each birthday allows us an opportunity to stop and embrace what has been given to us in that person. When, when graduation rolls around, it's our opportunity to not just celebrate that Junior or Sally has, has fulfilled what the school has asked of them, but it begs the question, have we done what we've needed to to help our children graduate from home life into adult life? Let, let me explain. In the corporate world, we just finished the third quarter. And in the business world, and for me running my own business, we don't do this in church that much. We follow a different kind of, of, of calendar. But in the five B's world that I live in each and every day, the quarter is an opportunity for me to look back. Now, I, I want to do this, and, and please understand why I'm doing this. I don't mean to be boastful in any stretch of the imagination, but let me walk through what I did just a couple days ago as the quarter came to an end. In the third quarter, 5B served tens of thousands of meals, just in the third quarter alone. We cooked more than 100,000 pieces of meat. We made tons upon tons of side dishes, we washed 7.35 million dishes. I'm kidding, but it feels that way. <laughs> Hundreds of hours were worked, if not thousands of hours were worked by my staff. Lots of activity, vans coming and going, deliveries, people eating and coming back for seconds, again and again and again. Do you notice the cycle? The cycle, back and forth, back and forth. Now, at the end of that quarter that just happened just a day or two ago, what if I was to tell you, now the main purpose of 5Bs, I'll just be honest with you, is to make money. What if I told you at the end of that quarter, 5Bs made nothing? Nothing. Now, I didn't, by the way. Someone just looked at me like, really? Okay, why? Because here's the thing. You know what you would say? What a foolish venture. You mean you did all of that and have nothing to show for it? What a waste of time. You're like, where are you going with this? Notice what the text says. What gain has the worker from his toil? Verse 9, verse 10. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That's life. Life is our business that God has given to keep us busy. Now, the milestones and the moments of life, the quarter breaks of our life should stop us and cause us to pause 
and ask the question in all of the busyness of life, did I accomplish anything? Did I profit anything? Some of us are so busy going through the motions of life, back and forth, back and forth, carpool the kids, take them here, take them there, go to work, come home from work, go on vacation, come home from vacation, mow the grass, plow the driveway, cycle and season after season and cycle. And at the end of all of it, we're back to the same place we were before. Some of us are living that life. We are busy doing life and not experiencing the life that God intended for you to live. And here's why. Your purpose, your meaning in life is to live life in partnership and in concert with God and His Word. And you and I are so busy doing all the other things that we have nothing to show for it. So you ran your kids around to every activity. Let me, let me tell you something. All of those play and concert rehearsals that your kid do, your kid will never be in the Pops, the Boston Orchestra. All the practices you sent your kids to, there's a good chance they're probably never going to make the pros, Right? But here's the 100% reality. They will all stand before God on the day of judgment. And if all you did was carpool your kids around, if all you did is sat in the bleachers and watch them play kids' games, if all you did was listen to them toot their horn, and you got nothing to show for it. Because you will die, they will die, and it will all be forgotten, Solomon says. What does a man have if he does not give his life to the God who has gifted him with life? Has nothing. And some of us right now are busying ourselves and we are forgetting that God is in the equation. Notice with me just very quickly and I'll pivot to my last points and that is this. God is nowhere to be found in the first eight verses. And so there's this turn that happens so life without God is chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And the question is, what does a person gain in his life apart from God? The answer is nothing. Nothing. Just this perpetual back and forth. So I have seen this business that God has given people to stay busy with. Now notice, God has made everything beautiful in His time. He has put eternity into man's heart. He goes in verse 12, I perceive that there's nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his life, all his toil, which is God's gift to man. There's the good life. The good life is to live life with eternity in mind. The good life is, as Dave Gibson says in his book, to live life backwards with eternity a part of every decision we make. It isn't that God doesn't want us to go through the cycles of life. What he wants is us to invite him into them. Just this last week, the church was able to uh, be the site for an adoption party. Eric and Rebecca Smith, dear people within our church, 
recently got final adoption of little Jordan. What an awesome story. Yeah, it's a great place for a hand clap. And they threw out the greatest party here at the church. I mean, people came to him and said, Pastor, why don't we see this stuff on Sunday? This is awesome. And here's the thing. I hope little Jordan, as he grows up and looks at pictures of that party, doesn't say that party was all about him. But it was about the significance of someone loving him and choosing him and purposing for him a better life than he could have had on his own. That party was a party to celebrate the love of a mom and dad pouring out all they have on a kid. And God bless them for it. Life is a party that God has given. And here's what we begin to think. I must be something special. I deserve this. And what life is, yes, the good and the bad, is God's gift to us. And it should lead us to say, not what a great person I am, but what a great God I have. And it should lead us so the good... When we have good times, you get that promotion. God, what do I, why do I deserve that? So maybe it's not about me, God. Maybe it's about you and the testimony in the world that you want me to have. Why did you give me another birthday? Why did you give me another uh, anniversary? God, you've gifted me with this. You must have a plan. You must have a purpose. But it's also on the backside of that pendulum swing. God, why cancer? God, why did you take my spouse? God, why did you give me this financial hardship? We don't ask as belly acres, we ask as students. And so what we begin to do is we begin to ask God to put eternity into our hearts. Why God, you who are timeless, why God, you who are eternal, would you allow this into my life? Teach me so that I can bring eternity to bear on it. To do it, we need to recognize a couple things very quickly. One, in this world of chaos, which life is chaotic apart from God. If you do not have an all-sovereign, all-powerful God, then life is a chaotic mess of things. But we who believe in God in this world of chaos know God is the one constant. And so as life ebbs and flows, as the pendulum swing swings back and forth, recognize church, God is there. And probably the most important thing is what we sang today. I am not alone. You go before me. You will never leave me. You're with me. And so when you're on the mountaintop, God's there and acknowledge him. And when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the constant one. We are faithless. He is faithful. We are temporary. He is eternal. We are changing. He is changeless. He is the constant. He is the sun by which we orbit around. And so life must be lived holding on to and holding fast to the one constant God, our Heavenly Father. Number two. Allow life's circumstances to push you to consider God, to consider eternity. Why did this good thing happen? What do you want me to learn, God, about my life? What do you want me to learn about my Savior? 
What do you want me to learn about others? Whatever this victory is, God, it isn't so much about me, but it's about what you want to teach me. What about in the bad things of life? God, what do you want to teach me about myself? What do you want me to teach me about my Savior? Now, this is messy, by the way. This isn't easy. I'm watching this firsthand with my father, who just a year ago uh, buried the love of his life, and he's living life apart from her, and he's wrestling with that, and he's struggling with that, and I watch him asking the questions, why God, what do you want to teach me about myself? What do you want to teach me about you, my Savior? It's not easy in those difficult times. It's what the book of Job is all about. And yet, we recognize what Job says to his wife. Should we receive the good and not the bad? And though God gives and though God takes away, we will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That is pushing, allowing your circumstances to push you to consider God. Finally, To choose the good life demands communion with God. Notice verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away. God has done it so that people may fear before him. God has given life. God has given us life so that we can be filled with joy as long as we live, verse 12 says, that we can eat and drink and take pleasure in all our toil. This is God's gift to us. But never think that God's gift was given to you and I, this thing called life, to be lived apart from him. And so what God has done is God has given us purpose he's given us meaning we didn't have it since the garden of eden we didn't have it adam and eve rebelled they sought the good life on their own and meaninglessness followed but speaking on this subject of time in galatians 4 4 the bible says when time was right god sent his son to redeem us God sent his son to give us purpose. God sent his son to give us meaning. God sent his son to give us satisfaction. God sent his son to give us the good life. And the question is this morning, not whether you're living life, but whether you're living the good life which demands communion with God. So as we close out this service, as we will partake of the communion elements in a moment, would you pause? Would you evaluate your own life? Are you just simply going through the motions, busying yourself, going here and there? Or as God has placed eternity before you, are you living life backwards with eternity in mind?